0: Welcome to the Global Digital Banker Podcast. Continuing on from our Cybos 2018 coverage, today we bring you interviews with Thomas Nielsen, Chief Digital Officer at Deutsche Bank, Peter Yos, General Manager, Financial Services Industry at SAP; and Jan Pilbauer, Executive Director, Modernization and CIO at Payments Canada. Up first, we speak with Thomas Nielsen, who discusses the advantages that open banking can bring to retail clients and the corporate sector, and the work that Deutsche are doing with the regulators in an open data world.
1: Christine St. Anne Heath and today I'm joined by Thomas Nielsen from Deutsche Bank, Thomas in your first session on open banking, you spoke about the benefits that this initiative can bring to retail clients, but you also spoke about the advantages to the corporate sector. Can you expand on this?
2: The retail side of financial services have, have sort of dabbled with that for a few years, and PSD2 in Europe has sort of been from a regulatory perspective, dragging that, a lot of the banks sort of kicking and screaming a little bit into that. In the B two B space, like between you know banks and banks and large institutions and corporate clients, the opportunity in the B two B space we're just out to scratch the surface. When you think about big clients of Deutsche Bank who might have hundreds of accounts with us in many different currencies around the world, they're all looking for how they can interact with Deutsche Bank in a more sort of programmatic self service way. And they're also often asking us to bring in other partners because we might not have a full solution in the space they're looking in, whether it's from an AML perspective or some specific AI type functionality they want. So the promise here is that by opening up our systems and allowing partners, clients, fintechs, even competitors to participate in that workflow, we will end up in a situation where 1 plus 1 equals 3. But it's a very tricky thing to move away from these walled gardens into a world of sort of platform economy. It's a different business model, it's different technology, there's different regulatory aspects that we all need to address.
1: And the other interesting uh, issue you highlighted at the panel was around regulation. Um, as you know, bankers often think of it as onerous, but you gave a bit of a positive spin talking about uh, the scope for partnerships. I wanted to get a sense from you about what Deutsche is doing in working with regulators in an open data world.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I think a lot, of, a lot of financial institutions are sort of either hiding behind the regulatory aspects or seeing that as being something that is Runners and hard to deal with, I actually think it 's a competitive advantage that a company like Deutsche Bank an institution we know how to do business in so many countries around the world we've we 've had years of experience partnering with regulators when I look at open banking and and the challenges around things like data privacy, how data flows across geographical boundaries. It's something that we, we know we cannot solve alone, and we want to start the dialogues with both regulators and, and other parties. And uh, we just published recently actually a white paper around some of the challenges in a regulatory environment, in a digital transformation. Data is obviously a big part, but so is uh, blockchain and artificial intelligence. It has different mutations of the challenges that a regulator running into, but we are now living in this global economy where Regulators are trying to do the right thing for each of their countries. But for big financial institutions and corporates that are doing business cross-border, we have to bring the regulators together uh, to actually solve this. No single bank can do it, Not no single regulator. Some regulators are more open to some of these new scenarios than others, and some are sort of wait and see. That's a classic scenario. From a Deutsche Bank perspective, we actually see it as a strong competitive advantage that we have engaged early on with regulators around the world on helping drive those agendas, not just our agenda, but talking about, well, the GDPR in Europe. Well, that's starting to have its influence in Asia and in the U.S. as well. And we see it as one of our obligations, frankly, to try to pull together those various pieces.
1: And finally, you came from Tesco. I'm eager to get your perspective on what sort of experiences you brought to that to an institution like Deutsche.
2: Well, I came from a world where we had 600,000 employees, 8,000 physical stores, was very much a mass market uh, type grocery chain that also happened to have a bank that was issuing credit cards and other type of activities. And I came into Tesco not knowing anything about retail. Just like I came into Deutsche Bank, not knowing anything about banking products. And what's fascinating with retail, I think has a lot of parallels to to the banking world, is that that industry is going through a tectonic shift. Like the whole, the plates underneath are changing, not a little bit, but dramatic, whether that's caused by Amazon coming in and doing disruption and changing the rules, or it's just buying habits. So in retail, we saw a big shift in the business model where it used to be that people would come do their grocery shopping once a week. If, When I remember back to my childhood, my, my mom and dad would buy groceries for the week, they would plan the meals you know, for a week ahead and they would buy the groceries. Well, these days, very few people know what they're gonna have for dinner. And they do more frequent shopping. They still spend about the same amount, but they do more frequent shopping. And I think the same thing is happening in the banking sector where the type of activities that people are doing are changing. Some of that will always stay the same, but when we look at at payments, I believe that the cost of doing payment is sort of a race to the bottom and the financial services institutions will have to figure out new business models. It was the same in retail. And I think the biggest learning I took away from my time at Tesco that is very applicable to Deutsche Bank is that we usually need a different talent base and a different approach in order to solve some of these new business model scenarios. It doesn't mean that we cannot leverage what we have already. That's the base. We have a great set of customers. We have a great set of solutions, but tomorrow's treasure are looking for something very different, just like tomorrow's grocery shopper are looking for a different, you know, engagement model.
1: Thomas, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Up next, Peter shares his perspective on how banks can leverage their traditional assets in terms of balance sheets the implications of challenger banks on customer acquisition for traditional banks and who he believes to be the key enablers in the new open banking framework.
1: Today I'm joined by Peter Jose from SAP. Peter, hello.
3: Hello, how are you?
1: I will, I will. Now we're going to be talking about banking as a platform or how it fits into the platform world, I wanted to get your perspective first of all from you about how banks, how can they leverage their traditional assets such as their customer data or their balance sheet to operate as a platform?
3: Sure, well today banks have a myriad of challenges in the current ecosystem, withstanding some of the, I guess, competitive forces, but also the regulatory environment and of course here in Australia we're under the guise of a Royal Commission, so they've certainly got the spotlight on I guess some of their processes, their systems and the way they govern themselves. So I think that's good in terms of really starting to draw out some of these challenges and it's really spurring action from these banks, where not only do they have to tighten their controls and the way they do things, they also have to have really an air of transparency around uh, what they're doing, uh, notwithstanding the various security and privacy controls today. So certainly the opportunity is before them around how they manoeuvre some of those programs of work and actions. But it's very challenging because banks over the decades have created many, many silos across their different divisions. And with that comes complexity. And complexity is a big one to unravel. So that's really their primary challenge at the moment.
1: Now, one of the big things that's coming out of silos is, of course, the new competitors, the challenger banks. And what are the implications for banks in terms of customer acquisition, the fact that these non-banks now have access to their data and even their customers? Yes.
3: No, and, and it's, look, it's a very exciting time, I guess, in the banking world right now, where the regulator has, I'll say, opened up the ecosystem to allow the opportunity for these new neo banks, as they're called, to start to enter the market and add a, a new, exciting value proposition to the market. So I guess there's two elements of that that, that, that we're certainly seeing. We're seeing that that is challenging the incumbency of the major tier one banks, which have been sort of the pillars of our banking system to date. And it's challenging them to retain their existing customers, number one. And of course, the trust factor around the Royal Commission is certainly making that even more of a difficult task for them today because certainly their retail customers are, are asking questions at the moment about their primary banking relationship. But what it does really do is it spurns it competition, um, and that competition is really delivered in the form of these new neobanks are really delivering a branchless offering all delivered via the mobile with a very very good looking smart interface with really value added services that are very much built and attuned for the customer. And often in in conjunction with the customer, they've now got choice. And as these neobanks start to gain their license to operate more fully over the next 12 to 24 months, uh, certainly that choice will start to give them options at multiple different layers in terms of the different generations, whether it's your sort of gen Ys or, or your millennials who are much more prone to moving about and choosing services all the way through to the people that have banked with one institution for the last 40 years. So I think choice is good. And certainly what it will do is force the current incumbent banks to partner more and deliver a more effective service to the market. So I think it's very positive.
1: And of course, finally, the other big theme is open banking. Um, Peter, I wanted to get your perspective on what do you see as a key enabler in this new framework.
3: Sure. Yeah, no, it's a a very strong theme here, especially at the conference, but very much so in the marketplace, not just in uh, the Australian market, but certainly in the global market. And look, that all really resides around one of the common threads that everybody is dealing with at the moment, not just in banking, but all industries, is data. How do you effectively manage data? How do you make data more accessible? And um, how do you deal with that data in a secure manner? So I think it's a great initiative, number one. And similarly, again, I think it's going to spurn and drive competition. It is challenging, however. So from an enabling perspective, Certainly what we see is the API-style framework as a big enabler. The openness of being able to access data and uh, actually leverage that data to create new offers and new opportunity and, in fact, new marketplaces is tremendous and potentially exponential. I think with that, though, uh, the value of that data is really only as good as the quality and the timing of that data. Our perspective is that certainly that data needs to be Uh, real time or near real time to be most relevant to the offers that you're making to your customers, whether you're a third party or whether you're actually a bank trying to extend your own ecosystem. I guess the other elements of that is really around trust and we've certainly seen Episodes on the global stage around data breaches that have caused quite a lot of questions to be asked, uh, and certainly put the spotlight on privacy controls and I guess the duty of care around the opt in aspect of that and the consent that people are giving to for institutions to share their data and it even extends as far as you know the terms and conditions that people are being asked to sign up for around product disclosures and those opt-in certainly the scrutiny at the various governmental inquiries both in the US and Australia have, have put the spotlight on that too so certainly that trust aspect is very very important I guess the other factor there is there's a lot of the onus is on the regulator here to start to put the right framework and definitions in place Um, they have the opportunity to define what that sort of standard looks like to define really what the optimal data set looks like and indeed to put some of those security controls at least as a standard in place as a definition for the institutions to adhere to so look I think there's a great opportunity Um, we're certainly very cognizant of you know, the incumbents with the most customers are the most nervous. And certainly the new portfolio of customers that stand to gain the most are certainly the most excited because all of a sudden they gain access to some very uh, interesting data around where people spend their money, when they spend it, and in what context and what category. So that's an exciting time. I think um, the other element of that is it's it's starting to change some of the Tier 1 bank's viewpoint, and that is they're expanding their value chain. They're starting to partner more, and whether it's with retailers or with real estate agents or with other communities, they're expanding their ecosystem to make their services and offerings very much more relevant to the consumers today so that their financial relationship is much more of an extended relationship now which is quite exciting for the consumers if we can get that right and it makes uh, your life easier and uh, with less friction.
1: we plenty to think about so thank you so much Peter for your insights much appreciated. No
3: pleasure great talking to you.
0: Concluding today's episode, Jan Pilbauer explains the initiatives that Payments Canada will be focusing on to drive a more modern payment system in Canada, how they'll be working to address and combat fraud issues moving forward, and his thoughts on a global sandbox.
1: Today I'm joined by Jan Pilbauer from Payments Canada. Jan, welcome.
4: Thank you, Christine.
1: Jan, just to begin with, what sort of initiatives is Payments Canada doing on focusing on driving a more modern payment system in Canada?
4: So a few years back, we started our modernization program and many would regard it as one of the most ambitious journeys when it comes to payments modernization. And I think it's coming mainly because of our position in the Canadian ecosystem where we are in the center of uh, everything. And we came up with a vision, what we want to deliver when it comes to the future payments experience to Canadians. And because uh, we want to take things holistically, we are basically looking at changing our high value payment system, it's kind of the foundational settlement infrastructure. We are like many countries like Australia, thinking and uh, working on putting in place the instant or faster payment solution as a platform for future innovation with all the overlay services. But unlike some other countries, we are also not forgetting about our batch payment solution. Basically the workhorse of payment system in Canada where many of the business to business or business to customer payments are going through and all of these things are happening at the same time as part of our modernization journey and it's also all grounded in the vision that we want not to only send payments which is moving value but we also want to send payments with data so ISO 20022 is the underlying foundational principle for our modernization so we are quite busy with that
1: Well, with modernisation brings a lot of exciting initiatives, but underpinning that is also the concerns around fraud. What is your organisation doing to combat that or address that issue?
4: Yeah, fraud and cyber security and everything else, it's kind of a multifaceted problem. And like SWIFT, uh, we are also looking that this has to be covered on multiple layers. So we not only run systems in Canada, we also set the broader rules and framework for the different participants to actually play in the payments ecosystem uh, in our country. Uh, So we are kind of looking that we are raising the bar for everybody when it comes to authentications and uh, proper things at the edge. But also what we started exploring is what we can do in the center to help with some of these activities. And again, you cannot solve fraud with one silver bullet. So it's multiple layers of things you can do Uh, we are looking uh, what are you know the maximum values which are going through different systems where we are trying to balance risk with uh, with innovation but also exploring machine learning and artificial intelligence and how we could score transactions in the center and help the participants to decide if the transaction is genuine or or fraudulent the same for proxy registration you know if somebody is using a proxy alias which uh, was used in the past for fraud it's usually known um, Uh, only by one participant so if we hold this information in the centre it serves the broader ecosystem and our financial institutions better. So we are exploring all of these things. Most promising is probably the area of artificial intelligence and kind of trying to understand patterns which are out of norm.
1: Now Jan, our relatively new payments platform has implemented initiatives around sandbox testing with other fintechs to come up with new ideas. Uh, What's Payments Canada's approach to that?
4: So when it comes to sandbox, especially regulatory sandbox, we are still working on our regulatory framework for non-bank organizations which are playing in the world of payments. So we don't have a regulatory sandbox per se, but as part of our mandate, we facilitate innovation and interoperability. So what we are focused on is bringing the different players together to understand what the future opportunities will be once the modernized system is in place. And I mentioned ISO 20022 and data and generally faster or real-time payments with APIs. So we are creating, we call them labs. So laboratories for ISO, rich data remittance, and uh, the faster payment solution where people can come, connect to it, play with it. And we are bringing not only financial institutions, but also large corporate clients, retailers, uh, ERP vendors, to actually get their hands dirty with uh, you know the ISO standard and how the straight-through processing can actually work in reality. Because we've learned from other jurisdictions that Adopting some of the new ways of payments, it takes time because uh, there are a lot of things which have to change on the overall and the overall end-to-end value chain of payments. So we are giving this opportunity through these platforms to basically uh, start playing with it before actually the solution is in place.
1: And finally, you're off to new exciting adventures um, looking at payments in uh, South Africa. With the, that move, could you give us a global perspective on what your thoughts are for a global sandbox? And I believe it's an initiative pushed by the Bank of England.
4: Yes, that's true. No, yeah, I, I'm going to be moving to South Africa. So that's another adventure uh, adventure ahead of me and uh, next chapter in my life, which I'm very excited about. When it uh, comes to the global sandbox, as, uh, as you mentioned, you know, pushed by Bank of England I think it makes a lot of sense I think there are a couple of Canadian regulators who are also part of uh, that initiative I mentioned we have to actually develop the regulatory framework in Canada so we are from that perspective we are a bit behind because now we are debating how the payment service providers should be regulated but we are completely subscribed to the idea there is regulation but you also need to provide this sandbox or safe environment where some of the new players can come and understand what does it mean to play with payments and uh, comply with some of the new regulatory regimes. So currently we don't have it, but we are, as I mentioned, part of the the initiative and we will make sure that we will support it. And I think this is really required on the global level because commerce is global. Payments are global, so for some of the players, you know, playing in different countries with different regulations is very hard if there is uh, something where they can understand it on the global level and make sure that multiple uh, jurisdictions are engaged. I think that's a good way forward.
0: Yeah, lovely speaking with you.
1: Thank
4: you so much, Christine.
0: We hope you enjoyed our Cyboss 2018 two-part special. To discover more content from the podcast, Visit our website and subscribe at globaldigitalbanker.com. To stay in the loop for upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on social at Twitter at GDB Podcast, LinkedIn at RFI Group, or on Instagram under Global Digital Banker. If you're interested in being a part of the show or would like to let us know what you think of this episode, email us at gdbpodcast at rfigroup.com.